Before I begin the sermon, I thought it would be nice just to ask Father Spencer to come back and read that entire gospel again. And it would be even better if you could stand the whole time, too. Well, that's a long one, but this, this is the season of Lent and repentance, and so perhaps there's something naughty that we were all up to last week that we had to listen to such a long story. And yet, of course, it's also such a rich one. I was thinking as I was meditating on this story about my grandmother, who was so beloved to me in so many ways, and yet one of her kind of quirks was that she didn't really understand medicine or doctors all that well. She was born and grew up during the Depression at a time when she never really had access to health care. And so as she advanced in age, her trips to the doctor became more and more difficult. There's an amazing story, actually. Her uh, internist was a man named Dr. Korkigian, and my mother used to take her to see Dr. Korkigian on a regular basis. We lived in Michigan, which happened to be uh, not too far from the office of another doctor you might remember from the 1990s who was very involved in euthanasia. And as we were in the waiting office, my grandmother said to my mother, Janet, when are you going to take me to see Dr. Kevorkian again? This was the type of level of medical knowledge my grandmother had. And once she got older, it became kind of more difficult and sadder. At a certain point in her late 70s, she started to lose her eyesight, and it really freaked her out. And you can understand why. My mom took her to the eye doctor, and he diagnosed her with something called macular degeneration. It's an ailment that many of you might know about, where the macula in the back of the eye begins to be covered in fatty deposits, and therefore your vision is clouded with a sort of black circle in the middle of everything that you see. It's a progressive disorder, and so as time goes on, if it's not treated, that black circle gets larger and larger until it takes over almost all of your immediate sight vision area right there. It was a really scary thing because the only way to treat it at the time was a sort of laser treatment where the doctor would beam a laser right through the cornea to the back of the retina to kill the cells that were getting worse and worse. When the doctor described this treatment to my grandmother, she was overwhelmed with fear. She had trouble sleeping. She thought the doctor was going to make her blind because, in fact, there was a part of the site that would be permanently damaged and would never come back. Of course, it was also the only way for her to preserve the vision that she still had. And so we were left with this conundrum. What do we do with grandma? If we don't take her to the doctor, then her vision is just going to get worse and worse. But if we do take her, we're going to have to strap her down to the chair and have a doctor beam a laser beam into her eye, which isn't a very nice thing either. Well, over time, and much prayer and consideration and conversation, eventually she consented to the procedure. And afterwards, she was so happy, so grateful to the doctor, even grateful to her family for being patient with her. Because even though her vision wasn't great, she could still read a newspaper and see her family and look at what she was eating and all those things. That was
was the first time I really became aware of how important vision is and what an incredible miracle the medicines and treatments at our disposal are. Think of all of the ways in which so many of us in this room have vision when maybe even a couple of generations ago we wouldn't have been able to. Doctors are able to treat all kinds of eye problems. They can remove cataracts, treat glaucoma, or even technology in glasses has become so advanced that digital imaging of lenses can make your glass lenses so precise that they can correct vision issues that even just a couple years ago we weren't able to. So when you think about the gospel lesson that you heard just now, it seems like it might be from a very far away time. Put yourself in the shoes of the people who lived in Jesus' time. There was no such thing as laser beams shooting into your eye. There were no mini scalpels to scrape away a cataract and replace the lens. Indeed, it wouldn't be for another 1,300 years that the first pair of glasses would be used by a human being. Back in those days, when Jesus was alive, something as simple as nearsightedness could make you blind over time. And that's to say nothing of the more complicated optical issues that one can have. As a result, there were many people who were blind, who walked through life not being able to see. And it was a common thing. But even though the story seems like it's from a long-ago time, it has something very important to teach us today. We are people who live in a world full of miracles. Miracles like that of the blind man's sight being restored to him. And yet what Jesus is telling us through this story is that it's not so much the miracles that give us our faith, but rather, it's how we react to those miracles. The question is, not so much do we have faith in our ability to see all things, but do we have faith because we see? And this is the crucial difference. It makes the difference in belief in our own abilities or our belief and something better than what we have today. And I'd be willing to bet that each and every one of us in this room wants something better than what we have today. Well, let's go back to this very long gospel lesson and break it down just a little bit once again. If you remember, there is the blind man whom Jesus encounters along the way. Jesus heals him of his blindness and makes him see once again. The Pharisees come to him and challenge him. And then they go to his parents and they say, well, he's a grown man. Why don't you talk to him yourselves? So they come to him a second time. And that's when the formerly blind man says something truly remarkable. He says of Jesus, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know. But though I was blind, now I see. I don't really know how this miracle happened, and it doesn't matter to me. But take a look. The evidence is right here. 
couple days ago, I couldn't see anything. And now I can see everything. Well, this infuriates the Pharisees because they're on a mission to try to prove that there's something wrong with Jesus and everything that he is up to. And so the story continues. He encounters Jesus once again. And Jesus tells him something remarkable. He says to the Pharisees, If you were blind, you would not have sin. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. Though it may seem that all of these events are a little bit jumbled up in this story, it's actually a structure of a story that was very common to people in the ancient world. It's called a chiasm, after the Greek word for X. The story starts out in one place and goes through a whole little passage, and then it comes out basically in the same place but with a different conclusion. You can see at the beginning, Jesus is with the blind man and the blind man receives his sight. In the middle, there is the bit with the Pharisees who are challenging him. And at the end, it's the Pharisees who are proved to be blind, not the blind man. The conclusion is completely different from when we started the story, even though we've gone on this little journey. But the amazing thing about the Gospel of John is that it doesn't just stop there. There are tons of little Easter eggs in the gospel, chiasms, right and left, these stories that begin in one place and end at another, having gone on a journey. And every time the story spits you out at the end, it leaves you with the same question as the person that Jesus is talking to. Jesus is talking to us in this gospel. He is telling us, if you were blind, you would not have sinned. But now that you say, we see, your sin remains. This is an important question to us today. Because, my friends, in the year 2023, we as a species can see more things than any one of our ancestors ever could have. We've already talked about the medicine and technology involved in human sight and restoring it. And it's pretty amazing because the treatment that I was talking about that my grandmother had 20 years ago is now totally outdated. Doctors are doing different things to heal macular degeneration. And that's to say nothing of all the other techniques that have been developed. We can see one another in ways that would have been unthinkable even just a couple years ago. Think about that the next time you FaceTime a relative or talk to someone online on a Zoom call. As annoying as they may be, you can actually see people on the other side of the earth whenever you want to. Next time you fly in a plane and look out the window, I always get the window seat, look down at the earth and think about how when the Brooklyn Bridge opened in the year 1888, it was declared a national holiday. The president came and walked over the bridge along with millions of New Yorkers who had never in their lives had a vantage point as high as that where they could see the rest of the earth the way that they did. And just this year, we have created a technology that is seeing deep into space farther than any human beings have before. We launched a telescope called the James Webb Telescope into deep space 
And it's looking far, far out, so much farther than any space telescope has been able to before. So the evidence is there. We can see, and we are claiming that we can see. So where is the sin in that? Well, it's a matter of what we can see, but are willfully choosing to ignore. With all of this technology, all of this money, all of this know-how, we are still somehow unable to see things that are right underneath our noses. We are somehow unable to see the tremendous inequality of wealth, not only in this country, but around the world. With some seven to eight billion people living on the planet, at least an eighth of us are living on less than a few dollars a day. And you probably can't FaceTime those folks because, well, they couldn't afford a phone. And so they are invisible to the rest of us. With all of this technology, even the satellites that are orbiting space and monitoring the Earth's climate are able to see what is happening, what is happening to our Earth as a result of the carbon dioxide that we are spewing into the environment. And yet somehow we are not able to see a way out of this climate crisis that we ourselves have gotten into. How is it possible that with all of that technology and all that sight, we are so nearsighted? And then of course, with all this ability to see one another, that previous generations only would have dreamt of. We are still living in a world full of cruelty, political divisions, racial discrimination, discrimination on so many grounds. How is it possible that in a time when different types of people are so visible to one another, that legislatures across this country are passing laws to limit the rights and abilities of certain people to live in their own society. How is it possible that with all of this vision, yet we still sin? Now that we say that we see, our sin remains. We have no excuses. And yet this is the work of Lent. Getting our vision in line with our values is what we do in this season of repentance. It's a time for us to turn inwardly and to imagine the world as God sees it, not just as we can see it with our own miracles that we have created. It is a time to understand that we are not going to get ourselves out of these messes by technology and know-how and money alone, but rather through faith. Faith in the words that Jesus himself tells us, that God loves every single person, and that we are to dedicate our lives to that mission too. If we did that, we wouldn't even need all of these tools to bring about God's kingdom in the world. This is the fourth Sunday of Lent, and whatever your Lenten discipline may be, 
let me commend you for having gotten this far, because there's still a ways to go. But you can make it, and it's worth it. Way back when, church fathers and mothers declared that this Sunday was something called Laerte Sunday, the fourth Sunday in Lent. And Laerte in Latin means rejoice. So what is there to rejoice about? Well, I think there's something about this vision that we have been given in our day and time that we too can rejoice about. And if we approached it from a spirit of joy, maybe it would change our values too. So if you, someone in this room or watching online, have had your sight restored, whether through medicine or classes, this Sunday, I say, rejoice. If you can see someone far away on a phone screen or on a computer screen, rather than viewing it as yet another chore to do, I say, rejoice. If you are able to see the earth from above, whether you go online or do it yourself in person, I say rejoice at this vision that your ancestors would have killed to be able to see. And if you love learning about the universe, seeing the things that science is discovering about this created order, I say rejoice. Rejoice. And then take that joy. Live into it in a spirit of humility. And go out and try to use the vision that you have been given miraculously to work with God to change this world, to make it better, to work on yourself, your community, this country, and this world, to make it into a place where everyone can see God's face. Amen.